0: Well, again, if you would uh, take out your Bible, let's turn to Ephesians chapter 1. And we will today be looking at verses 3 through 6. Although, for the sake of context, and this will become more clear as we get into the sermon, I'm going to read actually through verse 14. But today we're only going to be dealing with verses uh, 3 through 6. So Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 3, and reading to verse 14. Again, this is God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. Pay special heed to the reading of it. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. You may be seated. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for this reading of your word we pray that as the Word is preached, that You would till deeply into our hearts, that You would pull out the, the weeds of falsity, and that You would nourish us by Your Word, that You would strengthen us. We pray, God, for Your servant, as the word is preached, that justice can be done to your word. And these truths are so deep. We pray, God, that you would, in, in fact, hear rule and overrule. May we learn from you. May we come to a good and right understanding. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. question uh, which people often ask, ponder, is, why am I here? Why do I exist? Why did God make me? In our day, in our post-modern and anti-supernatural age, these questions can't really be accounted for. They can't account for our existence, and the world can't account for our purpose. In fact, consistent naturalism only leads to nihilism, a worldview in which nothing matters at all, and a worldview by which nobody can really consistently live by. And so the world in our day has begun to suggest that your meaning and your purpose is not determined outside, but internally, by yourself. In other words, whatever you want to be or whatever you desire to be, you become by declaring it to be so. And they do this because in the postmodern world view the self is nothing more than a linguistic construct and so men declare themselves to be women and women declare themselves to be men and some people uh, declare themselves to be cats and dogs and a whole host of other and various delusions things that in past time they would go to mental hospitals for is now considered, considered to be normal, and this is because the worldview, the postmodern worldview, the, the worldview of naturalism of those who deny God is an irrational, incoherent because they suppress the truth and unrighteousness. They are made in God's image, as all people are. They know that there must be meaning in the world. But we understand that our meaning comes from our Creator. The idea that the value of the individual is subjective and a linguistic construct is a far cry from the biblical notion of what it is to be a human being. The Bible tells us that to be human is to be made in God's image. Our purpose, the Westminster Shorter Catechism summarizes for us so well, is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. The Bible teaches that you and I exist for the purpose of worship. Our chief end is to give glory to our Heavenly Father, our Creator, and our Redeemer, and to enjoy communion and fellowship with Him and with our fellow image bearers. We were created to worship, but the object of our worship is to be God alone who created the world and all in it. God has saved us from our sin and the miseries of this life which came about because of Adam's first sin when he ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The God who created is also the God who saves. God is the author of redemption. It, is, it was the plan of God from before the foundation of the world, before this world was spoken even into existence. And These are the truths that we're going to look at this morning in this opening section of Ephesians. Now, as I mentioned already, our focus will be on verses 3 through 6, which deals with God the Father and divine election. But this is only a small part of the larger context, which goes on to verse 14, which I read. In fact, Ephesians... 3-14 1 three through 14 is actually one long Greek sentence Paul in in this section mounds almost almost in breathtaking fashion all of the saints spiritual blessings which come from the triune God he begins offering up praise to God the Father highlighting the fact that That he has chosen us in Christ from all eternity. Then he offers up praise to God the Son, starting in verse 7. Highlighting his redeeming work on the cross, which was according to the riches of his grace. And then finally, in verse 13, Paul offers up praise to God the Holy Spirit, highlighting his sealing of us at the moment of conversion and how the Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance, which will gain possession of his glory in glory. And so these 11 verses deal with the the tremendous spiritual blessings which come from the whole of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and the role that each person of the Godhead plays in your redemption. And so what we're going to look at today is the first section, verses 3 through 6, which deals specifically with God the Father and the doctrine of predestination. And through this, we will begin to see, hopefully with sharper focus, our identity as children of God. We are in Christ. We are the blood-bought, adopted children of the triune God who were chosen before creation. And so, jumping now into our text, immediately following the apostolic greeting of grace and peace, Paul immediately moves to the praise and the glory of God. Now, this is a bit different from his normal pattern. Ordinarily, in Paul's letters, at this point he would express thanksgiving for the church and for their for their faith. But here, Paul doesn't begin with thanksgiving for the church. Instead, he begins. He instead of moving to Thanksgiving, which he will do in verse 15 in verse 15, he begins with a praise to the Triune God. He praises the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. And he does this in a manner similar to To what we see in the Old Testament, where God is to be praised because of his mighty deeds which he has done. For instance, uh, Psalm 31 21. Blessed be the Lord, for he has wondrously shown his manifest love to me. Or Psalm 68 19. Blessed be the Lord, who daily bears me up. God is our salvation. You see, the Bible makes clear that it is God who loves me. It is God who bears me up. It is God who has saved me. It is God who blesses us with every spiritual blessing. In Ephesians, Paul identifies the fountain of all spiritual blessing. God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the God of Israel. This is the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the one who is worthy of all praise and honor and glory. And great honor is to be given because of His nature. Because of who He is, and because of the astoundingly great spiritual blessings which He has bestowed, He has lavished upon us in the heavenly places. These blessings which we enjoy are from all eternity past through our election. They are in the present by means of our our redemption in Christ. And yet they are still future, with a view towards our finally and completely realizing our inheritance. You and I bless and praise God because of the great blessings that He has bestowed. And these blessings, which God has poured out, we have in Christ, Christ, Paul says, in the heavenly places. Literally, in the heavenlies. God has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessings in the heavenlies. But what does that mean? What is, what is the heavenlies? Or what is the, the heavenly place? These spiritual blessings are given, are heavenly in origin. And they descend down from God to believers. But what are these heavenly places? Well, this is the realm to, to which Christ has ascended and to which His people are spiritually united to Him by faith, having been raised with Him. But what do we mean by that? This is, this is difficult for us to write, wrap our minds around because we live here on earth. We, we, we have mortal bodies. We're, we're stuck to this planet. How are we in the heavenlies? You see, God has enabled us, through the Lord Jesus Christ, to enter into and to enjoy the goodness of our heavenly inheritance even now. Even here, right now, we have entered into a foretaste, if you will, of the heavenlies. And how does this take place? Through the ministry of the Word and Spirit. Listen, when you and I enter into worship, Even as we are right at this moment, we have entered into the heavenly sanctuary, as it were. We are invited by God into the very Holy of Holies, before His very throne. We are in the Spirit, in the very throne room of God, where we are enabled to commune with the triune God. Now, it's not that we've physically left this place. We're still here, right? You can tap the floor. And yet, physically we're here. We don't leave this space, but we're spiritually present with God in worship. When we enter to worship, God is inviting us into His presence. This is what the call to worship is. God is calling His covenant people into His presence. He invites us to be spiritually present with us in the heavenlies. Through Christ, we have access by one Spirit to the Father. We are able to come boldly before God's throne of grace to enjoy the fullness of His kingdom blessings. Righteousness, peace, joy in the Holy Spirit, Paul says in Romans fourteen seventeen. In other words, we have even here and now an enjoyment of God's heavenly blessings, a foretaste. But we live in the already, but not yet. We enjoy a foretaste here, but this is, this is just a just a little taste of what is to come in the new heavens and new earth. You and I have blessings which are ours, but we don't have them yet in fullness the already, but not yet. Nevertheless, we commune with Him through the means of grace, the word, the sacrament, and prayer. And even as we await the day we will have the full inheritance in the new heavens and new earth. God the Father, through Christ, is blessing us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. We are enjoying the benefits of the new covenant promises, our justification, adoption, and sanctification. We are given His grace. We are given peace. We are made more and more righteous. We're being sanctified. We have an abundance of joy in the Holy Spirit. God is pouring out His favor, giving us a foretaste of that which is to come. And all of these blessings are bestowed upon believers and enjoyed in Christ. These good gifts are only for those who are in Christ. One cannot enjoy the spiritual blessings of Christ if they're outside the kingdom. That is not to say that the unbeliever may not enjoy some of the blessings of life in the church, but all spiritual blessings come from Christ who is himself the very foundation of the church. And all the benefits of of the churches of Christ's salvation is from Christ. And so the implication is this. Apart from Christ, there can be no hope of spiritual blessing. There can be no hope for any spiritual life at all outside of Christ. God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And He did this, verse 4, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. These blessings which He is pouring out on you as a follower of Jesus... Originate before the creation of the world. Now you might be sitting here and saying, "Wait a minute!" You 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 might say, "You mean to tell me that the blessings that are mine in Christ started before I was even born?" Is that what you're saying? Before even my parents were born, my grandparents? These blessings go back before creation? Before God even spoke the world into existence? Is that what you're saying? This is what Paul's saying. Because in Christ, you were chosen before the foundation of the world. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you were chosen in Him. The second person of the Godhead. The Son of God. Before creation. As a part of his eternal decree, God chose who would be among his elect. You see, the author of our salvation is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is the author of our salvation. It is the Father who has decreed our election from all eternity past. Because he's sovereign. Because he's God. It is God the Father who has chosen us in God the Son. What this means, of course, is it's not all about me. It's about Him. It's about Jesus. Now, the fact that God chooses does not take away from the fact that our predestination, as Louis Burkhoff points out, In all its parts is the concurrent act of all three persons of the Godhead who are one in counsel of their will. In other words, all three members of the Trinity take part in divine election. They're all acting. But the the divine election, most particularly, is the Father's. We consider, as we consider our salvation as revealed in the scriptures, the sovereign act of divine election is most particularly attributed to God the Father. We were chosen by the Father in Christ before the world was created. Which is to say that God has, pur- has purposed to save those he has chosen with Christ as our head and our representative. So these blessings, these blessings which are ours in Christ from the heavenlies began before the world was even created. That just blows the mind. He has chosen you to be saved in Christ not on the basis of anything in us. He didn't look out of the world and think, well, you know, Kurt Horseman seems like a a rather lovely fellow, so I'll, I'll go ahead and save him and, you know... Oh, this person is not so lovely. That's not how it works. God didn't save us because we were lovely. Salvation is the free gift of God. There are some who want to say that God saves men based on who He knew would respond. And that Jesus made it possible for men to be saved. Listen, Jesus did not simply make it possible for men and women to be saved. The work of Jesus Christ on the cross actually saves people. The fact that the elect are chosen in Christ means that it's outside of ourselves. Because you and I are totally unworthy. And yet, God has chosen us through Him who is infinitely worthy. God had decreed from all eternity that he would save his people through his Son, Jesus Christ. Through And there is no possibility of salvation apart from the finished work of Jesus Christ. None. Christ is the one who has done this by the sovereign decree of God the Father, so that, and this is the purpose, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In divine election, God chose those who were to be His for the one express purpose of making us holy and blameless before Him. This is, this is reason. God's predestination of His people was to justify us in Christ. Christ came to pay the penalty for sin, to wash us from all iniquity, to atone for our sin, to make us holy before him so that we can stand before God as holy and blameless in his sight. God, because He is holy and perfect, demands that we too be holy and perfect. As it says in Leviticus 11.44, For I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy. For I am holy. Later in Ephesians five twenty seven, we read that Christ gave himself up for the church so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Christ presents us before the Father as holy and blameless. The electing purpose of God, which is a part of His redeeming work, was to lead to Christ making us holy and blameless before Him. That we may be presented before Him as holy people. To put it more simply, God the Father had willed that God the Son should come for His chosen people And take their place and make them holy and make them blameless before him. We are predestined in Christ so that we would be holy and blameless and, verse 5, for adoption. Not only have we been made holy and blameless, we've also been adopted in love. He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. I mentioned uh, that this whole section to verse 14 is one long Greek sentence. Some versions, like the King James and the New King James, attach "in love" to the phrase in verse 4, while others, such as the ESV, uh, which we use here, the New American Standard, as well, attach it to the next phrase in verse uh, phrase in verse 5. But because this is one long sentence, it's not clear. But either way, the truth of it is still clear. God chose those who would be his out of his great love. Why did God do it? Because he loved. He did this out of his love, in his own boundless love, motivated by nothing outside of himself. Certainly wasn't motivated because we somehow love him first. No, the Bible is very clear on this. God loved us first. God chose to adopt some to be sons through through Jesus Christ out of his own love. It is through the work of Christ that this adoption, this being made sons, becomes a reality. This gives more clarity to the fact that we're chosen in Christ it was the atoning work of Christ which has merited for us our new standing before the Father. That is to say, we've been justified. This justification was merited, has merited the spirit of sonship, our adoption. We, have, we, have a sta- we had previously had a standing of, as rebels. We were in rebellion. We were guilty of cosmic treason against a Holy God by our sins. But in Christ, He doesn't doesn't just conquer us and and make us prisoners. No, He adopts us as His children. He makes you heirs of His promises. Thus, through Jesus Christ, sinners and rebels are transformed into God's children who then give all glory to Him. Those whom He has justified are also adopted. Adopted. They're children. They're heirs of all the promises. And why did he do this? He did this, look into verse 5, according to the purpose of his will. This is phenomenal. It was the good and perfect pleasure of God. He was delighted to choose to save sinners, to make them to be his. And again, to be clear, God was not motivated by something lovely within us he didn't focus on us as objects of his affection because because we're, we're so we're so wonderful right he didn't look down the corridors of time as someone to say and think ah here's a person who will believe so so i'm going to choose them well that's unbiblical The reality is human beings outside of Christ are lost sinners and rebels guilty of cosmic treason. God saves at his own pleasure. As it says in Romans 9.15, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will compassion on whom I will have compassion. The ground of our election and our adoption is not anything of ourselves. No, the ground is the good pleasure of God through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to die for sinners and to redeem His people. God had predestined us. Jesus then purchased purchased us by His death and resurrection. Jesus... Is the one who justifies. Through him, we are then adopted and are made children and heirs. And this is the work of God as decreed by our Heavenly Father before the foundation of the world. And these realities our election, our justification, our adoption are to the praise of His glorious grace. It's the praise of God. This beloved congregation is the ultimate aim of our election and our adoption. The purpose of our election is the glory of God. The purpose of our justification is the glory of God. The purpose of our adoption is the glory of God. It's to His praise and glory. The Christian has been predestined to sonship so that God may be given praise. You see, God's predestination and adoption are a fantastic demonstration of God's glorious grace. It is the glory of God, which is the ultimate purpose of all of our salvation. Every aspect of it. Consider again the force of Paul's argument here. The immediate design of God's electing purposes is so that we should be holy and blameless before before the Father and that we would receive adoption as sons. But the ultimate goal, the ultimate goal is, and that is the goal to which everything else contributes, the ultimate goal is for the adoring recognition of His manifest excellency the awesomeness of God's work. That's the purpose. God has poured out on us His undeserved favor. He has called us to be His own children. And this gracious work of redemption reveals His awesome and most excellent glory. This is going to sound strange and maybe even wrong, in the ears of those accustomed to a man-centered theology, which makes salvation all about us. But God did not set out to elect us for our sake. He did it for His own namesake, for His glory. God has given glory in His electing, adopting, justifying, sanctifying His people. The purpose of the redemption of sinners is to put on display the immeasurable grace and love and mercy of God in in such a way as to cause our hearts to be filled with wonder and our lips to cry out in praise. God is gracious. He has poured out His favor upon those who believe and we have all of these spiritual blessings because of Christ. Because in and of ourselves, we're unworthy. We're sinners. All kindness toward us from God is on account of His grace. Oh, what glorious grace He has poured out on us through Christ. May our hearts be filled with wonder at this. May our lips cry out, Praise be to God. In our study, we've seen the blessings of the Father. Namely, our election and our adoption. In the coming weeks, and of course you'll have to wait uh, two extra weeks since we'll be on vacation. But in the coming weeks, we'll see the blessings of the Son in our redemption, our union with Him, And the blessings of the Spirit. The down payment and guarantee of our inheritance in Christ. And all of these spiritual blessings ought to drive us to praise. As a matter of fact, as I said in the beginning, isn't that our purpose? In some way, God is helping us to fulfill our purpose of giving Him all praise. Even the praise we give, God has helped us with. Because you and I were created to worship. We were created to worship Him who made all things very good. But we understand the problem that we have, and that is that we have a tendency to worship other things, don't we? As we we focus on these truths, our our hearts ought to be warmed towards God, our, our, our minds towards giving Him all praise as we recognize You love me. You've saved me. An unworthy sinner. And yet, our hearts grow cold at times, don't they? Our hearts begin to wander. We are like sheep who have gone astray, each to his own way. Our hearts are idle factories. What we need are hearts which are reoriented Toward Christ. God's blessings ought to make us wonder, ought to cause us to ponder the work of God. This is, by the way, one of the important parts of preaching, right? And, and, of, and of reading the Bible for yourself, even. That you're reminded of these truths, because if you don't, if you, you have a tendency, we all have a tendency to forget. I have a tendency to forget. We need to ponder the work of God. Consider how often in the Old Testament God reminds His people, remember, I'm the one who brought you out of slavery, out of bondage in Egypt. Remember what I did. Remember the mighty work of God. Remember the redemption you have through the Lord Jesus Christ. You and I ought to be amazed by His grace. Consider again what God has done for you in Christ And which is like the words of the hymn. A hymn we will sing in a moment, but particularly verse 3 of um, the hymn, It is Well With My Soul, which says this, My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O oh my soul. Beloved, never, let us never lose our awe. Let us not lose the awe of the one we were created to worship. Let's pray together. Gracious Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for these these really, in some ways, hard truths. For we are people often set to wander on our own but also wonderful joyous truths that you have chosen us from all eternity for the purpose of redemption and for the purpose of adoption and for the purpose of your praise and glory that through Jesus Christ we have been invited into the holy of holies that he has he has cleansed us from all sin And that we are presented before you, Father. And we can stand before you and give you all praise and glory. We thank you for our redemption. We do pray, God, as we go about our business this week and coming weeks, may these truths be echoing in our hearts and in our minds. May may it rattle around in our brains. Would you get a hold of our heart in these matters that we would not wander like sheep, but we would follow the shepherd, the good shepherd of our souls, even Jesus Christ, our Lord. We ask these things in the name of our Savior, our Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.